Good evening, everybody. Um, for those of you I don't know, my name is Betsy Spinotto. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, but I have the joy of introducing you to a friend of mine and colleague of mine by the name of Dr. Janelle Hallman. She's going to be our speaker tonight. The boring stuff about Janelle, but is important, is that she has a BA in economics from the University of Colorado, a Master of Arts in Counseling from Denver Seminary, and a doctorate in counselor education and supervision from Regent University's School of Counseling and Psychology in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, but Janelle has been and continues to be a well-respected, well-known um, counselor here in the Denver area, specifically uh, around issues related to Christian LGBT um, and the, the gay and lesbian transgender bisexual community. She is one of, if not the top um, experts in this field in the country. So we have a joy of having her with us tonight. And so with that, Janelle, come on up. It's right. your floor. Okay. Um, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with, your, with you this evening. And I, I'll stumble all over my words, I always do. And it's nighttime, so it even gets worse. Um, but yeah, so after that introduction, now I'm going to stand here and say, uh, I am not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's very few experts on okay, this right. topic. There, uh, but, but I'm really not an expert on transgenderism. Uh, my expertise is more with men and women with same-sex attraction or lesbian, gay identified uh, men and women, and family members. So I work a ton with parents who have gay identified kids, primarily Christian families, who have gay identified kids or who are exploring their sexual identity. Um, but I've always had a heart for transgenders, and I know a lot of, I have personal friends who have gender dysphoria, um, I know people who have transitioned. I know people who have decided not to transition. I know people who have transitioned and then transitioned back. Um, yeah. So the stories are complex and extremely unique. And so whenever we talk about uh, or speak about a topic like this, <clears throat> I'm going to be giving you generalizations at best. And so I hope to bring in some personal stories tonight so that you can really feel um, a little bit more about what this journey looks like in flesh and blood because it's so easy to talk about things, you know, um, cognitively, theoretically, and we can't appreciate really what this looks like when it's within a person's journey and life. So I will be going there um, tonight. But I did just want to let you know that we, I run retreats for mothers who have daughters who are lesbian or daughters who have same-sex attraction and are confused about their sexual identity. And we have one coming up in December. So it's in Denver. And just in case any of you are interested in that or know of somebody who could really benefit from that, there's some brochures and I've got business cards too if anybody wants those um, later tonight. So, uh, I think I already said that. So now you know. All right. So we're going to just dive in and we'll see how far we get tonight uh, moving through this material. And since we're a small enough group, if you really got a burning question uh, while I'm speaking, uh, I welcome dialogue uh, while I'm moving through this. But I'm definitely going to, we'll stop at 730 and open up for question and answer. So you will have time 
to ask your questions. But dialogue if you want to while we're going. So the term transgender is actually an umbrella term at this point. And when somebody uses that term, um, we usually, we probably should ask for clarification in terms of what they're meaning, whether they're calling themselves a transgender or if somebody is just talking about transgenders, to just kind of explore what do they mean because it's become a very broad, kind of a vague term at this point. Typically, it refers to a broad spectrum of individuals who transiently or persistently identify with a gender different from their natal gender. So I'm gonna introduce some crazy terms, but natal means birth gender. So what they were born as. Um, gender dysphoria is a clinical diagnosis and it may or may not be present. So we just have a lot of individuals, primarily a lot of younger people right now, who are experiencing what we call gender fluidity, where they really have a felt sense of being male and female at different times or different seasons in their life. And I will we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that if we get time. But tonight we're gonna primarily look at gender dysphoric individuals which is still a clinical diagnosis. But just to make this very confusing, here, here is uh, some of the spectrum of individuals that might be referred to as transgender. So it would be those who have gender dysphoria, and I will define that um, more explicitly in a minute. But it, will, it also includes those individuals who are cross-dressing, or what we would call transvestites. And these individuals may not have gender dysphoria. In other words, they're cross-dressing for sexual arousal. So it's a different category, but those folks um, can often be called transgender. People who dress up and do entertainment, which is, they're known as drag queens, might be referred to as transgender. They may or may not have gender dysphoria or a confusion around their gender identity. Uh, transsexuals, that's another term, probably most of you have heard that term. These are the folks who have actually transitioned to their preferred gender. So they, they probably have gender dysphoria um, and have made the transition. Now, you'll find out that what we mean by transition means, I mean, there's many different things. Uh, on, in terms of what a person is doing to transition. So we'll unpack that as well. But just to let you know, because language is huge, right? If you're actually sitting with somebody who has gender identity, <coughs> confusion or gender dysphoria, and you care about this person, um, you need to be sensitive in the terminology and how we refer to them, et cetera. So I'm gonna try to be hitting on some of that while we move through this. So just know that if uh, a person has transitioned, um, regardless of the level of their transition, if they've transitioned and are attempting to live as their preferred or their felt gender, um, we should refer to them, we should use the pronoun that matches their current gender or lived gender. So in other words, um, somebody who is born male and has transitioned to female, 
so is now living as a female, um, it is the most respectful thing to refer to them as a she. Simply because if you insist on calling them by their former male name or referring to them as a he, it just creates a huge dissonance inside of them, a reaction and a trigger, which is going to create problems in your relationship. And so if you want to be able to speak into this person's life and have them be open to your love and care, um, it's important to meet them where they're at. And where they're at right now is with a female identity. So likewise, um, a female that transitions to male, it's appropriate to refer to her as he and to use her um, now male name. So, and I just made a mistake by calling her her because she's he. <laughs> so, and this is, this is how it is. And if I was sitting with a transgender individual, I'd have to find out how they want, how they're identifying, how they're calling themselves, how they want to be referred to. But it's likely I might make a mistake, especially if I've known this person before they transitioned. And it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes with people um, in this regard, as long as you can be humble and just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Will you help me? Will you continue to help me? Remind me, um, because I'm still, I'm still, you know, integrating what you have already integrated. And so that will be very appreciated by anybody that you're caring for, I guarantee it. It's just that humility. So other in, there's another group of people called intersexed, and I will define that tonight because this is another group of folks who need our love and care. And... Um, hardly any of us know anything about this group of people. It's very different than, than gender dysphoria, but uh, I want to help you understand um, what's going on in their lives. And, but, and at this point, they will be categorized as transgender as well. Then those who are gender fluid or gender queer is another term being used, which is just non-homonormative um, experience of gender. Uh, this is the term that a lot of the millennials are using is queer, that I'm just, I don't fit the traditional models or understanding of male and female. And so they'll say they're just gender queer. So I could go on. This is not an exhaustive list, but I thought to not overwhelm us too much, um, that's enough for now. So again, we're going to focus on people who actually experience gender dysphoria tonight. So I want to start with a story to just get you into understanding that this is such a um, painful human journey for individuals who have gender dysphoria. And as you will find out later, uh, this can actually start emerging in a child's life as early as one and a half years old. So <clears throat> we have a new category of individuals who are experiencing gender dysphoria for the first time in their life during their teenage years. That's a whole different category. What I'm going to be focusing on are individuals who start experiencing this at a very, very young age which of course raises all sorts of implications 
in terms of parenting and how as church uh, members, how do we come alongside a family? Because this is not only an issue for the child to become right, it's an issue for the whole family system. And it's hard and it's painful. So I just want to take you through briefly a story of one woman who I know of. I don't know her personally, um, but I know of her, just so that you can begin to hear what this feels like to an individual. So this, this person was born male, and everything was intact. She had male genitalia. She had male chromosomes. But at a very young age, she, it wasn't that she wanted to be a boy, I mean a girl, sorry. It wasn't that she wanted to be a girl, she thought she was a girl. Okay, big difference. Because I grew up as a tomboy, and I grew up wishing I were a boy, because boys have more fun. That's not gender dysphoria. Okay, gender dysphoria is, I am a boy. So in this case, he was a boy. But by the time um, he reached age seven, I had a clear realization that I, I did not feel I was a boy. But I also knew that I didn't look like a girl. In other words, he knew he didn't have a body of a girl, but he very much felt like girl. It also became clear to me that it was not acceptable for boys to act like girls or to like girl stuff. So what was happening is he liked girl stuff. He wanted to wear girls clothing. He wanted to play with girls toys. So he says, I hid my feelings from my parents because I was ashamed. This is, children know at a pretty young age who experience this, that this is not quote unquote normal. And certainly not sure mom and dad can handle what's going on inside of me. So shame usually enters in at a very, very young age, not to mention lots of other negative emotions. So he did not talk to his parents about this because of shame. And he says, I knew what was expected of me as a boy, and I wanted to please my parents and loved ones. But what I'm really hearing there is he wanted to be loved. And there is fear that he may not be loved if this comes out. So it's a secret. And those of you know, whenever we hold a secret, and especially as children, um, it can become a very dark, painful place and usually filled with shame um, and a sense of isolation. And it can form then into a lot of mental health struggles down the road if that secret is never opened up. So this guy, this kid took it in and said, I, I want to please my parents and loved ones. So he goes on to say, puberty was extremely difficult for me. I didn't understand why, but when I was 12, I began sneaking my sister's and my mother's clothes. He had no idea what was going on. He just knew something was, he felt like he was a girl, and he got to the point where he had to dress in girls' clothes. He had no idea 
what was going on with him. I would dress in their clothes and I pretended I was a girl. Every time I dressed though, I felt guilt, shame, and self-loathing. So that's another emotion that begins to emerge is hating, I hate myself. I can't help this. I don't know why I'm doing this. Eventually, my parents caught me dressed as a girl and they were very concerned and confused. Of course they were. I, plain re I plainly remember my mom asking if this meant that I was gay. Although I had no understanding of the word gay, I thought that wasn't a good thing to be either. So just know, gender dysphoria has nothing to do with being gay or lesbian, or straight, or heterosexual, okay? It's a totally different issue. Um, sexual attraction has to do with who I'm drawn to sexually. And so an identity, a sexual identity, is often formed around our attractions or how we experience our sexuality. That's what gay and lesbian bisexuality is all about. This has to do with my felt sense as a boy or a girl. So it doesn't have anything to do with sexual attraction. Okay, but often we, we confuse that because we don't know. You know, there's so little information out there about transgenderism or gender dysphoria. But it really has nothing to do with sexual identity. It has to do with gender identity, how I feel as male or female. So after my parents caught me dressed in my sister's clothes, they took me to a counselor. I was diagnosed with depression and prescribed medication. This was at 12 years old. So this young boy is already really struggling. If, he, if they're giving him medication for depression, then I can guarantee he was probably pretty depressed. So this is another struggle often. My dad encouraged me to talk to our bishop, and I reluctantly agreed. Both my bishop and therapist took the approach that this was an addiction, that his wanting to wear girls' clothing was an addiction, and my behavior must be stopped by means of prayer and self-control techniques. And this is probably not an uncommon uh, intervention. Um, but it's a, it's a miss of what's really going on because there's, there's a deep confusion going on in the child. And so to just try to curtail what we would call cross-dressing behavior really isn't understanding what the child is really experiencing, nor is it gonna really benefit anything. So what that does often to kids is more shame, more guilt and shame because they can't seem to help themselves, again, they don't understand what's going on. So this is actually a Mormon individual, and I've worked with a lot of Mormons over the years. So, and I'm gonna say he, because he was still he in this part of his story. I spent many hours of my knees praying to my Heavenly Father to take this secret away from me. It was obvious to me that other boys didn't do this, that other boys didn't have these feelings. So one day I found a show that he wasn't supposed to be watching. His parents said he couldn't watch. But he watched it when they were gone, and it was, was of a transsexual telling her boyfriend that she had been born a boy. So it was a female now telling, 
telling her boyfriend that she had been born a boy. You can imagine how the boyfriend responded. This was on live television, you know, so you can guess what shows, you know, this may have been. There was yelling and fighting. And then the boyfriend called the transsexual woman it. So the young boy said, I was horrified, and there was no way that I wanted to be like that woman. I would kill myself before I became an it. So I, I just want you to hear the language again now, what's emerging in this young man. Young man's life is, I would rather die than go through certain things in terms of public humiliation. During high school, I met a sweet girl. She was beautiful, fun, and was easy to talk to. I took her on several dates, and we had a good time together. When I told her that I was beginning to have stronger feelings for her, she said she just wanted to be friends. I was still dealing with my depression, and when she turned me down, I came to the conclusion that she must have turned me down because I actually had that deep desire to be female myself. The rejection I felt was intense, but the belief that it was because of my gender identity sent me over the edge, and this was the first time that I actually began to think about ways to kill myself. After high school, all of my friends left on their missions. It was expected that all young men fulfill a mission. This is the Mormon church. And, and I also wanted to desperately serve. But in all honesty, I wanted to serve more for a selfish reason. I was convinced that going on a mission would eliminate my gender confusion. Um, he hoped, he prayed, that God would change this. And he did, he, he did the best he could think of doing to please God, to please his family, to go on the mission with a deep hope that this would change, that it would be eliminated from his life. But it didn't. It didn't go away. And maybe some of you have heard about people with same-sex attraction who have prayed and prayed and prayed that these feelings would be go away, the sexual draw to another member of the same sex. They've prayed and prayed, and it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. So over the next year, the dysphoria began to wear me down. Each day of my mission, I struggled with this felt sense of being female, but I'm living in a male body. And addictions, which was his secret cross-dressing, so he still thought that was an addiction. I became so tired, I would lie in bed and ask myself, why? Why me? Why am I here? Was it to make my parents and family proud of me? Why was he doing the mission? Was it to make them proud of me, or was it because I had a testimony of the gospel and wanted to do what was right? Because I, he says, I felt like a hypocrite, walking a contradiction. So one night, I finally reached the end of my ability to resist these thoughts. While my companion was asleep, I snuck out of our apartment and spent the evening out dressed as a woman. While out, I passed a large full-length mirror. I stopped in front of this mirror and looked at myself. Self-hatred filled me as I looked at the person in the reflection of the mirror. I was overcome with intense disgust 
like nothing I had ever felt before. I knew I deserved God's wrath and that there was a special place in hell for me. So that's as far as I want to go um, with his story because I just want you to, to begin to feel into um, what this journey is like for those individuals especially who keep this a secret because that's probably the most common phenomena is that these kids ha have struggled, struggled, struggled. If you finally find out that a younger person or an adult has gender dysphoria and you find out that they have been feeling this way since they were really young, then know <coughs> that they've been through something really similar to this. Know that they're probably filled with shame. They're not sure God loves them. They feel like a freak. They feel like, I mean, completely flawed deserving of hell, they've probably been deeply depressed, anxious, scared of deep intimacy and relationships, and possibly suicidal or probably even attempting suicide. And so these are some of the most fragile people in some ways that you could ever sit with. And they need our gentleness, they need our listening ears before we say anything else, before we bring any kind of, you know, truth or hope for change, I'm putting those in quotes, um, whatever it is that we might think we can offer them, they just want to be listened to and understood. And that's the first step, and that requires a lot of time to establish a sense of trust between you and them. But their lives are horrific and the suicide rate in this population is unbelievably high. And this is why. It's because they did not ask for this. Um, this has emerged in their development. The families, families also, by the way, just unbelievable struggle within the family system when, when they have a child who is constantly wanting to cross-dress or constantly insisting that they're in the wrong body. I mean, this is, a, this is a huge dilemma for the parents, and we're gonna get into that a little bit more because they also need our help and support and compassion, compassion, compassion. Because I think God would have us, regardless of what we're dealing with in our lives, to choose life. I don't think he's pleased when death comes to one of his precious children and I do believe that these individuals are his precious children. Um, so let's dive in a little bit more now to explaining what this is all about. Um, but I just wanted to put a human being to it first. So this slide, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on, but I just wanted to start with it because this gives you some statistics on what many individuals who are now most likely adults, because this is research based on adults, but what they live with, what they live with. And a lot of individuals are just uh, making some level of transition in their life because they, f they believe they are the, 
the other gender or the un other sex. And so they often will look odd. I don't know if any of you have seen people in midway transition or those who have even transitioned who may not pass completely. And they have an odd, often odd look to them. And so the level of rejection and marginalization and stigmatization, stigmatization is huge. And even though the lesbian and gay community for the most part is a welcoming community, often they are rejected by their lesbian and gay friends as well. So they have no one. There's no safe place often for people who have gender dysphoria. Um, they're discriminated against. The violence is extremely high. Isolation, um, experience broad developmental delays, a lot because of the shame and a lot because of this extra burden that they're navigating, that they're trying to figure out in their life. So high rates of depression, anxiety, um, overall, you know, high rates of suicide and just mental health issues are really, really high in this population. So let's define this a little bit more, but I want us to get clear on terms. Sex is the term that I prefer to use in terms of the biological um, genetic marker, which is in us at birth. So we're born either female or male, and the good majority of the times our genitalia matches those genetic chromosomes, okay? We're gonna talk about what happens when they don't match, but right now they're matching, okay? So that's our sex. So the term sex typically does refer to the biology, our body, our body sex, our, what our chromosomes say. Gender is actually a term that is more of a social construct, has to do with um, maleness and femaleness, what is seen as uh, feminine or masculine or what is the lived role as being a boy or a girl. Um, but what has happened in the literature and what has happened just in discourse is that these two terms have become synonymous. For instance, transgenderism, right? We're really talking about, or gender dysphoria, we're really talking about sex dysphoria. We're talking about our genetic sex. There's dysphoria around our genetic sex. But we're using the term gender in the same way. So tonight I will, I probably will use both. So just be aware. We can also use gender in other ways because it is, it is more of a socially constructed term. So gender identity has to do with my felt sense of self as male or female. So I know my body is female and I do identify as female. So guess what, there's a name for that. Have you guys ever heard of cisgender? So those of us, those of us who have a body and that we actually identify and say, yes, I am what my body says I am, we're cisgender. So now you have a new cool term. Um, and you will really blow away your teenager if you use it because I guarantee your teenagers know these terms. They'll, they could educate you on all of this quite a bit, actually. Um, 
So this is a process. Gender identity is a developmental process, and not everybody identifies at the same level of intensity as others. I've worked with a lot of women who have female bodies. They know they're women, but they hate being women. They don't value being women. So their, their gender identity is a little bit weak and actually can be fragmented because they're the women who can also say as adult women, um, I fit the role of man better than the role of woman. Even though they're not saying they're transgender, they're not saying they're a man in a female's body, they're just saying, it's not, this is not a really solid thing, Janelle, in my life. There's some problems around my gender identity. So this is, we all go through this process of identifying, but I bet you most of you never thought about it because you kind of followed what we would call the normative track of developing this cisgender or alignment that my felt sense of self matches my body. We don't think about it if kind of everything is in place. It becomes an issue when that alignment is not happening. When it does not happen, then there's something else going on and that's what we're referring to as gender dysphoria. So gender identity, again, is based on the extent to which one accepts, integrates, and identifies or values being male or female. So let's look at gender dysphoria, the real definition of gender dysphoria. First of all, the word dysphoria, right off the bat, we know that it's referring to something that feels ill. There's a sense of ill-being, a sense of discomfort, or a sense of discontent. So gender dysphoria is there's discontent or discomfort with our sex, our biological sex. That's what I would throw in there. So what's happening is when a person or a child, let's get back to the child. When a child has gender dysphoria, they're, they're experiencing an incongruence. They're experiencing a mismatch between what their brain is saying or their affective, which is their emotional and their cognitive, their thinking self, their brain, and their body. So their body says they're a boy, but their brain or internal sense of self or psychic sense of self says, I am girl. They feel like they're a girl. Everything about them is a girl, and yet their body says they're a boy. That's how deep it goes. This is not, this is a profound condition. This is not just whimsical that a child just goes, I think I just want to dress in, you know, my brother's clothing. Um, that's not what's happening here. It is a profound split of sorts within this child because this part of them is not matching um, the rest of their body. So gender dysphoria, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but gender dysphoria is not the same as gender atypicality or gender nonconformity. So let's talk about gender nonconformity. Um, I was a gender nonconforming girl growing up. I was what you, were, you would call a tomboy. 
Um, I loved running through the woods. I loved climbing trees. I loved um, building things. I did not like playing with dolls. I blew up dolls. Um, wasn't that what they were for? You know. Um, uh, I and I fought with the boys. I mean, the rough and tumble kind of stuff. I loved it, and I and I was also very arrogant because I thought I could beat up any little boy who. And that continued into my teenage years. So it was pretty wild because I still knew I was girl. It, I didn't have gender dysphoria, but I was gender atypical. I didn't, um, my interests weren't the same as most other little girls' interests. My interests were more common to boys. So gender nonconformity, gender atypicality, lots of us have that and there's, this is actually very inheritable um, through the research, and I think it's kind of God's unique, unique, how, you know, he makes us still unique, even within our separate genders, right? Not all women are the same, and we have this bell curve, and some of us are out here on the tail, you know, and that's part of God's design in us, and it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's very different than gender dysphoria, very different. So it's important that we don't assume somehow when a child is possibly cross-dressing that, oh, they're just being gender atypical. It, we have to explore that. I mean, as counselors, if a family brings a child to us, we have to really explore what is really going on here, what's going on. So um, it is also not the same as intersexuality. So let's, you guys are going to get more sex education here tonight in ways that you probably never imagined. Um, but intersexuality, this is really um, an interesting phenomena, which many of you have heard about, but we call it something different now. It's a group, it, it's also a spectrum or an umbrella term that covers uh, uh, several conditions which result in a discrepancy between external and internal genitalia um, or sex chromosomes. So here's what this can look like, is a little baby girl who has female chromosomes um, has what looks like a malformed penis. Her genitalia did not form um, in the female direction or a little boy who is genetically boy, genetically male, but his genitalia is rather deformed. You can't even tell what it is. So as you can imagine, this presents a shock right at birth because at birth, we don't know the genetics of a child yet. So the baby comes out and what's the mother expecting to hear? Yeah, and the doctors can't, they can't say. So I can't even imagine, frankly, what the parents go through in, in these situations. The, the nurse or the doctor, midwife, has to say, um, we don't know yet. We're going to have to explore some things with your child. So historically, what has happened is that um, Doctors, regardless of the chromosomes of the child, have decided to surgically 
construct female genitalia because it's easier to do. So many little boys have been given um, female genitalia and the doctors instructed the parents to raise their child as a boy because the doctor said the body doesn't matter. The genetics in the body don't matter. Um, how you raise the child is what will determine their gender identity because gender is a social construct. So raise it a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Did I say did yeah. I say it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So raise raise this boy as a girl. Um, she will be fine. Sorry, yeah, I did mess it up. She will be fine because gender is tied to how a child is socialized. It's not tied to the body. And there it, this is a split in psychological field. There was a psychologist years ago who claimed this and tried to prove it by doing some research. And since then, um, the outcomes of his research uh, collapsed, essentially, and it was discovered this was not the case. So what's happened is many parents, I mean, you're this desperate parent, right? What do we do? What do we do? in this situation, you're gonna trust the doctors, right? You're gonna trust the doctors. So many parents have raised little boys that were born boys as girls. And, and typically what the research um, says while they're longitudinal studies watching these kids grow up, they do seem pretty well adjusted throughout most of childhood, although the parents will note that, hmm, even though we're raising her, at, you know, him as a girl, uh, she really exhibits play interests like a boy. Well, I'm gender non maybe it's just gender nonconforming. You know, we don't know. We don't know. But a lot of parents will report uh, she still seems to act like a little boy, but she's happy. She's adjusted. You know, it's when puberty hits. And when puberty hits, what has happened with a lot of these kids is that they now start feeling something's wrong and they say to their mom and dad, I don't feel like I'm a girl. I think I'm a boy. Now doesn't that sound just like transgenderism? Doesn't that sound just like gender dysphoria? And uh, again, as counselors, we better be careful when we have an individual come in and say, I am not girl, I am boy. We better explore their history. Um, because what in, is going on in reality? Yes, this individual is a boy. Genetically, they're a boy. Do they get facial hair? Oh, they have to have hormone treatment. That's another thing. I mean, you have to give the, these children sex hormones. Um, so depending on where all that is at. So obviously this child has had to also visit doctors on a regular basis. But many families don't really explain it all to the children. And so the children go through this crisis um, at puberty and, and many of them transition. So here is an example. This is Judy who was raised as a girl but she was genetically male at birth. And during puberty she, she went through this crisis. Um, parents finally told her she did some studying herself and decided Many, many individuals actually will stay like this, but it's, it's an utter confusion because often they are heterosexual in their sexual orientation. So in other words, this is a boy for reals, and he's drawn to women, 
right? But now, but, but he has a female body at this point. And so they live as homosexuals when they're not really homosexuals. Does that make sense? There's several in Denver, and they've, there's actually been documentaries done on them, and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, these people, uh, they need, and, and they're marginalized. They're marginalized and ostracized, and often we Christians just want to judge them. And we'll just say, you know, your lifestyle is wrong or whatever, and they're doing the best they can to just live life. So she decided she did not want to stay in the female body, and so is doing reverse sex hormones and transitioned to her true genetic sex, which is male, okay? So, so uh, gender dysphoria is not this. Gender dysphoria happens when the genitalia are intact and clearly match the chromosomes, okay? So just, so what we have with gender dysphoria is that we've got essentially two gender maps happening inside a little child. Psychological sex or psychic sense of self as male or female with body, somatic sex or what the body says. It's like there's two different maps going on and they don't match. Okay. So, onset, this is the clinical diagnostic, and we're not going to read through all this, okay? I'm going to spare you. Um, yes, yes. But I just wanted to point out again, onset is so young. It can be so young. Um, and essentially, the way this is diagnosed in children, and I'm going to um, jump to this, is this is what starts happening as they're growing up is that they believe they are the other sex. They want a name that matches their felt sense of self. They, the little girls will want their hair cut. They will want to wear boys' clothing. They're drawn to boys' activities and interests. Um, and they will fight mom. When mom tries to dress them in a girl's dress, they will kick and scream and fight. And, it, and insisting they are not a girl. And of course, mom and dad are doing their best, right? And mom and dad will say, but honey, you are a little girl. And the little girl just becomes indignant and goes into temper tantrums and starts hurting herself and on and on and on it goes. This is how it gets diagnosed, usually, is it a family goes into despair because they don't know really what to do or how to handle this. So, um, but there are other kids who learn that mom and dad can't handle this. And that may be true. Mom and dad can't handle it and so they will submerge those reactions and they will swallow their anxiety and they'll live in this state of depression and angst. And that's, those are the ones who hold it in as secret. And that was the story that I shared earlier. Either way, this is not easy. Either way, it's not an easy journey at all. So this is a family. One of their children has profound gender dysphoria. Um, and so what this family did to manage this child's 
um, reactions and what was happening between the parent-child relationship, this family allowed the child to actually dress and look the way that they felt on the inside. So anybody got an idea of which child might be gender dysphoric? Yeah. The one in yellow. The one in yellow. And you know, it's interesting because that's what often everybody picks. It's actually the little boy. The little boy is genetically female and has a female body even today because we do not do surgical changes on children. Um, there's been no hormones given to this child. All the family has done is said, um, we're going to let you be who you feel you are at this point. And it stopped all of the resistance and the, the incredible mental health issues that were developing in their child. He's very happily adjusted at this point. So this family right now, I have not researched them recently because they're online, but this family right now is waiting and seeing what happens because I have some other things I want to tell you about this. Um, uh, these are just some concerns related to childhood gender dysphoria, which you can read on your own. This is our biggest concern is that when we fight the child on this, it can really destroy the parent-child relationship. So as counselors, we have to come alongside the family system and really figure out what is in the child's best interest right now, what is in the parent's best interest, how can we keep this child alive, right? This does become a life and death issue. It's very, very difficult. And of course, it affects everybody around the family system, including the church, when a family shows up and has a gender dysphoric child and the family has decided to take certain measures of letting the child express themselves um, according to their felt sense of self, how does the church handle that? What do we do you know, with all of this? So um, what, where do, I'm just looking at the clock and I want to decide, I think where I would like to jump to, this was just something for us to challenge us. Um, and it's something I've learned just working with men and women with same sex attraction that first of all, I have to reach a place of acceptance that this is in their life. This is, it's a real, it's real. This is a real thing. Gender dysphoria is not a chosen thing. It's real. And it's a profound struggle within the individuals who have it. And so part of being a caregiver and somebody who can come alongside is that we have to just radically accept. It is. It just is. It is what it is. We don't have to like it. I can guarantee the, the individual themselves don't like it. The family aren't going to probably like it. But before we can deal with something, before we can move forward in life, you usually have to accept this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at, this is what it is. So that's what these slides are about, is just to encourage you all, should, should somebody ever come into your life to just start, you, you have to do this work. This isn't for them, this is you. To just accept it is what it is. It doesn't mean you have to change your beliefs about God's design for male and female. You don't have to um, change in that regard, but it's, it's basically, we have to be able to say this is a real thing going on in this person. I don't want to deny it. 
I want to accept that it is. And um, this is an example of what it might look like for a parent who has a child with gender dysphoria. The, our initial reaction is going to be, I can't accept this. I just can't accept that my child is trans. And this may be a parent who has a teenager who just came out and has held this in their whole life and has just finally come out because they're about to burst. And the parent, it's normal for a parent to say, I just can't, I can't accept this, I won't accept this. Um, I can't believe that my child is this way. This is not what God had in mind for my child. I just can't believe it, okay? That's a normal reaction versus though, listen to the energy shift. When a parent finally gets to, my child has gender dysphoria and there's no easy answers. And I wonder how I can continue to be a loving and supportive parent. It's a real shift. So I coach parents in making this shift. But as, as just friends who might be coming alongside people, this is a real important step for us to be conscientious caregivers. Um, okay, so what I wanted to do is talk a little bit. You all can read about causes. We don't know. The bottom line is we don't know. We really don't know. I mean, we really, really don't know about this one. There is just hardly any research at this point. There's also no research on the treatment options, and this is what I wanted to run through. Um, one treatment option, how do we deal with this, you know, with kids? One treatment option is what that family in the picture has decided to do, which is to allow the child to transition in appearance and name only, and allow puberty to naturally unfold. And the reason why this is considered a viable option is because 70 to 80% of children who have gender dysphoria automatically develop, uh, it's hard to even describe what's happening, but spontaneously shift their gender identity to align with their birth sex. Okay, so in other words, they don't continue in the gender dysphoria. The gender dysphoria does not persist 70% of the time. So this is why to just simply allow the child to go through puberty, because that's usually when the shift happens. Allow the child to go through puberty and to see it may not persist. The child may resolve into a gender identity that aligns with their body. Does, is this making sense? Okay. Um, but what's happened is that um, we've kind of gotten on the bandwagon, and I understand why, because we want to love and accept people, right? The world has reacted against, I think, a lot of our moralizing and judgmental attitudes and saying in our face, we're gonna do what we wanna do and we believe that God still loves us, okay? So I understand, I understand their cry, but there are a lot of doctors who are allowing child to transition and then introducing hormones, which are called puberty blockers, which actually stop the child from going through puberty so that the child doesn't develop the physical characteristics of their unwanted sex, okay? Because that will create more anxiety inside of them. 
So it's foregoing that development. And then at a certain point, they begin to introduce cross-sex hormones. So for a little girl who believes she's a boy, they'll introduce testosterone or androgen, I think, um, so that she'll start developing male body features. And then ultimately, you would do the full surgery, which is irreversible, it's, it's irreversible. So can cross-sex hormones have some irreversible effects. Um, and the interesting thing is that, well, I don't want to get into that. We don't have time. <laughs> yeah, those of you who get that, that. <laughs> yeah, let's just go. Um, so those are the rates of persistence. So you can look at that. So here's another transgender teenager. Her name is Jazz. She was born male. She has a male body. She has full male parts at this point. She, she was one of the kids where the doctors decided she is so profoundly identified as male that they wanted to put her on puberty blockers. So she's been on puberty blockers. Now they're, she's 16, 17 at this point. Now they're talking about the full surgical um, procedure. But what's happened is because she's been on puberty blockers, I, and I don't have all the details, but her body just has not developed enough of anything to be able to do surgery. Not to mention that she, and this is happening more and more with the young people, not to mention that she's going, you know what? Cutting on my body is a big major thing. And I'm not sure I'm ready for that. A lot of, of the younger people are deciding that this treatment of just going for it all out and cutting and changing everything about you is may not be the wisest thing. And so they are actually coming up with new ways to live with this split inside of themselves. Um, but she's kind of decided to postpone it a little bit to wait and see. And, um, and her sexual identity is rather confounded right now as well which is interesting. She's, she's kind of loves everybody. Um, because I'm not sure she's clear fully. Um, she knows she ha she's a part of her as female, because uh, it's her felt sense of self. But she also knows she's a, she has a very male body. A part of her is male. And so it creates confusion. Um, so another treatment is to provide psychotherapy to the child and to the family system. And it's not to try to fix, right, the gender dysphoria directly. Ever, never, ever. That will violate the child. It will bring about greater anxiety and depression. What it's for is to establish healthy functioning in the family, to promote healthy parent-to-child relating. With both parents, both parents need to be involved in this. So it's, it's to really work on establishing times of closeness, bonding, involvement, engagement, etc. Because that's where healthy development happens, is when there's strong parental relationships. Because there's been many, many physicians over the years who have worked with families with kids with gender dysphoria and have observed the gender dysphoria spontaneously shifting. It spontaneously shifts and they align with their genetic sex. So the problem 
where we're at right now, let me see if I have a slide on it. I, I don't know where it is. I, I messed up my slides. The problem right now that we're facing is that we don't know what children will persist in their gender dysphoria and what children will spontaneously evolve out of it. It's two slides back. It's two slides back. Did I miss it? There it is. Okay, it was on the persistence. We don't know. There's no way to tell. And so I understand why a lot of doctors are recommending puberty blockers and sex hormones for children is because the dissonance and the depression and the anxiety is so severe in some kids that it actually gives them that sense of relief in knowing that they are moving towards their felt sense of self. I understand that, but the concern in the medical community now is if we do instigate hormones to young children, it may then restrict them from that spontaneous shifting that does seem to happen a lot of times during a normal puberty. We don't know. We don't know. There's been no research yet on the effects of puberty or hormone treatment on adolescents or children. We don't know long-term effects of it. We don't know side effects totally. Um, and yet, we do know that for a lot of the kids who are un undergoing the hormonal treatment right now, that their satisfaction and well-being has improved. It's improved. So, that, so really, professionals are in a real bind about this. This is a very, very difficult situation. And so even as a therapist, I just know I walk with people. I walk with people. And ultimately, every mom and dad has to make the decision. I don't make it for them. Ultimately, every individual has to make decisions about their own life. I met a transgender woman. She's male to female. And I heard her story. Um, and she says, if I hadn't made the transition, I would have killed myself. There is no doubt in my mind. She, she was married to her wife, because he was a he, right? Um, married to her <coughs> wife now. She's female with a wife. And the wife went through all sorts of turmoil, right? She has a suicidal husband on her hands. She's shocked because she didn't know about his gender dysphoria. And he's letting her know that if I don't transition, I'll kill myself. They love each other, and they are Christians. They're evangelical Christians. So through a series of psychiatric treatments and support and recommendations, she decided she'd rather have her husband. She'd rather hold their family together, which meant, um, she said, I guess you need to transition. They are still married. They're still married. The children have gone through hell and back to adjust to the fact that their dad is now a woman. Um, but this is real life. I mean, the kids have all made an adjustment, and they are now back in relationship with their dad, who is now a woman. And he has given them permission to call him dad. He's respecting and honoring their journey. But this is so messy. This is so, so messy. There are just not easy answers. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this a little bit more. There's a lot more in my slides, um, but I just want to bring you in to the dialogue so that we can address what is on your heart. 
So thoughts, reactions. Do you know about how many people that identify as transgender identify with gender dysphoria also? Yeah. Is it the majority of them, or is it now? Say, so ask your question again. I want to make sure I'm understanding. Out of people that identify as transgender, about how many of them also have gender dysphoria? I, well, people don't identify as transgender as much as we use the term to identify them. That's an umbrella term that we throw around. Um, the, the individual most likely, if they're calling themselves transgender, most likely have gender dysphoria. So yeah, yeah. Usually, if an individual is calling themselves trans, you need to explore. Because trans can mean transgender, which usually implies gender dysphoria, but trans can also mean transsexual, and that has many different definitions. I didn't get into all the definitions. Mm -hmm. That has many different definitions, and it can be a person who has um, transitioned a little bit or is exploring the opposite sex, in terms of presentation, public presentation, with or without gender dysphoria. So you kind of have to, trans is too general, you gotta find out a little bit more. Wish I could make this simpler, but yeah. Like historically, have other cultures, has this been observed in other cultures? Is this a more like today type of thing? It, it yes, historically it's been around and there are actually some cultures who view this from a spiritual lens and see that the person who embodies both male and female as a very special individual, that God has done something very special, that there's a special purpose and call um, on their lives. So they're handled very, very differently, right, than our culture. Um, so yeah, it's pretty amazing that those cultures. So. I don't know um, much more. I have not, this isn't my specialty, so I haven't gotten to read and study, but I do know different cultures handle this very differently. There's also subcultures within cultures who assign people to a he, she status. Um, and I know it's in Asia, and it's not coming to me why they do this. Um, but, these are individuals who don't necessarily have gender dysphoria, but they're forced into an alternate sexed um, identity, if that makes sense. So I know that's out there as well. I have two questions, ma'am. Uh, so one, I'm a, an officer in the military and was a basic training commander for 15 months. And in one of the discussions that we brought up against uh, with the whole leadership was um, with respect to integration in the military for the transgender population. Um, is there right now gender dysphoria is classified as a psychological disorder? Correct. Um, but the main concern is that there's a high suicide rate even after hormone treatment right. or surgery. Right. Um, and that those individuals typically don't find satisfaction in treatment. So suicide rates are, are basically the same before or after treatment, is that not true? Not necessarily. In general, um, suicide rates drop after transition, but um, right now the statistic that, that's out there is 80% of people who transition have fairly satisfactory outcome. 
In other words, their depression decreases, suicidality decreases, anxiety decreases. But there's still about 20% where their mental health symptoms don't seem to abate. And that, that's the group that will still present with high suicidality. So does that answer? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And then the second question is more from a, a family perspective. But how do we, or how does, how do we derive some type of um, biblical approach to speaking to these folks with gender dysphoria um, under the assumption or presumption that God doesn't make mistakes? So how does this happen? Yeah, and I think we need to, and I don't want to pathologize individuals with gender dysphoria, but it's the best metaphor. Um, people are born with all sorts of um, physical anomalies and diseases, right? This is one of them. This is one of them. It's part of a fallen world. It's part of a fallen world, exactly. So, so we might be able to speak to God's intended purpose for gender, and I believe he does have an intended purpose. But frankly, if we were to look deep into all of our lives, I'm not sure many of us are living out his full intent in, in just being the male that he intended us to be or being the female that he intended us to be. So it is part of a fallen world. And we really need to see this condition, um, especially through that lens, that this is, because it is profound. If it wasn't so profound, I would say, yeah, we could kind of talk to people, you know, and maybe talk them out of it. It's not going to happen not going to happen. So we've got to meet them where they're at. And I think the first message I want to give them, would want to give them, is that God loves them and cherishes them, even with gender dysphoria, right? And he wants to be involved in their life. That's where I would start. Yeah, it really is a different, um, let's find the slides here, I know it's in here. There it is. It really is, in my opinion, it's a very different category. And the workers in Scandinavia are the ones doing research on all of this because they have centralized care for gender dysphoric individuals in all the Scandinavian countries. And so because they have that centralized care, they've been able to do research. They have had an influx of adolescents coming into their clinics, their gender identity clinics, who are now 14, 15 years old and have never experienced gender dysphoria before in their lives. It's what we would call a late onset. They're just now experiencing it. So they've done research on this group, and this is what they've found, is that these are kids who have felt very excluded socially through um, their primary school years. So they've not been, they, they haven't had um, peer so socialization. They were also subject to bullying. These are kids that did not present gender dysphoric. They're not gender non-conforming. These are normal looking kids. But they were victim to bullying. So they lived with that through school years. They've struggled deeply with social anxiety 
may be part of the reason why they're not socialized. Depression, suicidality, long before they ever experienced gender dysphoria, they have felt isolated, right, few friends, marginalized. Um, so this has been their life already for seven or eight years. And now, all of a sudden, they have this sense of maybe what's wrong is I'm in the wrong body. I think I am. I think because they've never felt comfortable in their skin. These are kids who don't have completed um, uh, development. They have massive identity. I didn't even put that in here. Their biggest issue is no established sense of personal identity. So they have this vacancy in terms of personal identity. And so we don't know the process. It's not been documented yet. But they come into understanding that I am in the wrong body and that if I change my body, I will be fine. I will be fine. These are kids, and I've seen these kids in my office. These are, these are kids um, who are absolutely desperate for hormones. Desperate. They will beg for hormones, almost like they're an addict you know, begging for their drug. Um, they will beg for hormones because there is a deep sense that if I can just start the transition, all of this, you know, negative affect that I'm living with will resolve. Um, so it's a very different category of people and probably need to be handled differently in terms of mental health professionals. But I think we're gonna see more and more of these kids in our youth groups. And I think this requires great sensitivity and great patience and gentleness to, again, we have to be able to listen and hear their stories to understand what's going on and maybe connect with family members to see the bigger picture so that we can advise. And you know what, y'all? You're going to have to bring in mental health professionals on this one. You have to. This is not going to be able to be handled probably just with delay. Yeah. So is there research then that would indicate that if they do get the hormones and they do start to transition, those negative things go away for them? Like is it there isn't yet. But the, the all of the folks in Scandinavia, who are by the way liberal, right? Okay, so this is not this is not a religious conservatism that this group of researchers, they are concerned about recommending transition for this group because what they believe they're seeing is actually just normal psychopathology that led possibly to the experience of gender dysphoria, and so they want to treat the underlying psychopathology. That's, they're, they're suggesting, they're doing it very carefully because they could get their heads bitten off. You know, as soon as you say something like, we can treat gender dysphoria, um, that sounds like reparative therapy and everybody's going to lose their license. And so they're in, their, in their report, in their journal article, what they said is, we would recommend that professionals explore the possibility that other treatment modalities need to be applied to this group rather than full transition. So I don't know you know, what they're doing at this point and how they're handling it. Has but it been around enough for tracking the suicide rates on after they, you know, a late adolescent or adolescent goes through it? Or is this No, this, this has only just emerged in the last couple of years, just the realization of this group. Okay. 
has emerged because I think most people who are specializing this tend to be of the mindset that you just allow people to transition. So they're just handing out the hormones and supporting people for the transition. They're not exploring what's going on in the person's life. I'm in touch with a psychologist in San Francisco who calls herself a moderate. She is one of the leading experts on transgenderism. And she, she's um, of the opinion that you sit and do deep psychotherapy with an individual long before you start walking with them through a transition. That if the individual does not have mental health stability, that transition is probably not the, the best recommendation because this is incredibly destabilizing in an individual's life. First of all, to start the transition and all the things that they go through physically, the expense of it, um, changing names, changing identities, changing communities, changing jobs. If you don't have stable mental health, uh, you're not gonna probably fare very well. And I think that's what's happening in a lot of cases is doctors are premature in recommending this, people aren't ready. Maybe it would benefit them, maybe it would, but they're not ready, they're not being prepared adequately. So she takes a much more conservative approach and she said she has many clients who will never transition. They know they can't handle it. But they're, but they're living well at this point. And how they're doing that, they're managing their gender dysphoria. They're managing it somehow, maybe they look like the, their preferred sex, I don't know, but, but they're not intending on ever doing transitions, so. Can I, unless there's burning questions, I just wanted to read a few more stories. I, 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 I okay. Yeah. This is a little bit. Oh, I'll come back. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's, <laughs> yeah, she was, I'll come back to you. Okay. okay. I have a grandson who is, I guess, Gender, he has gender dysphoria, yeah. How um, old is he? He's 26 now. Okay, okay. But uh, he was in, I, I did daycare in my home when he was young. And he always wanted to play with the girl. I mean, yeah. boys and girls. Yeah. And this was like when he was two or three Little. years old. Yeah. So and he's I, yeah, probably yeah. had it for a long time. And he used to, um, Take his grandpa's old T-shirts and cut them up to make them like a dress, dress. you know. And and um, I don't know. People used to say, "Oh, you shouldn't let him do that. You shouldn't let him do that." Mm -hmm. But but you know, now I'm the only one that. <clears throat> sorry. Sorry. I'm the only one that feel comfortable. Mm. Yeah. I love him. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so sad because I always thought, you know, I've never walked in those shoes. Right. So I don't know. That's right. It's like. That's know. right. But he looks like a girl. So he's kind of transitioned I mean, kind in his appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Long hair and everything. Yeah. But when we go in the restaurant, they always say, "Can I help you, ladies?" Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that makes him feel better. Feel better. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so hard. It's so it, hard. It is yeah. so hard. No, this is not an easy life. Who would choose this? Really, we gotta think about this. Nobody is choosing this. Yeah, 
And yeah. his mom and dad were divorced when he was little, so that didn't help. Yeah. And, and he's just had a really, really tough go of things in there. Right now he's not working because I think he just has a hard time going and applying for a job. Sure, you know? sure. And, um, well, I'm glad he has you. I'm really glad. Because without that lifeline, with these kids who have no family lifeline left because everybody's abandoned them. And he's so, so sweet to me. I mean, he's just, but he has a friend who just had reassignment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. He said he just, he gets angry real easy. He was a boy, now he's a girl. Yeah. And, but he, I just wonder sometimes about that because if it really works all the way. Yeah. I almost feel like he has the aggression of a male-like. And might, and might, yeah. Um, so, but, yeah. But he has, I mean, my grandson has no, he doesn't want to transition or anything, but, but, um, so and yeah. his name is Ricky, so we can call, call him. him. Yeah. So we're he's got a journey. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're his safe place in that yeah, regard. Yeah. Because this will not be easy. Just no matter what, no matter what decision individuals make, it's not easy. Yeah. So this is a little bit different topic, but I'm just curious. If you're counseling somebody who is coming out as gay, do you have the same kind of advice? Will you just accept it? Oh, absolutely. So you don't. Does that mean I? Does that mean um, that I believe God's intention is that they be gay, or that God's design? You know, no. But I accept the fact that they have identified as gay. I accept the fact that they have same-sex attraction, and if they have have decided um, God has extended them <coughs> grace to be this way and to embrace a partner of the same sex. I accept that. Is you your hear? advice any different for a Christian or non-Christian? I don't give advice as a counselor. <laughs> That's not my job. No, but I mean, is your viewpoint, is you, do you give any different counsel? Uh, I meet people where they're at because if they're in my office, there's a, they want something, right? They're in, I, they know, I'm a Christian counselor, they know what my beliefs are. They're in my office, they're wanting something, and I want to find out what that is. So that means I have to fully accept them where they're at. I have to honor who they are calling themselves. I have to honor what they believe about themselves so that I can build trust with them to be able to explore some of the deeper things that I think you would probably want to explore. But I've got to have trust there first because they need to know that I'm gonna, I'm gonna love them and be committed to them no matter what. And so that's my first thing, stage of therapy, is to establish that trust. So that we can explore what really is bothering you. What is going on? What is it that you need in counseling? Because we may get to some point of shame in them. We may get to doubt in them. Where, you know, Janelle, yeah, this is who I am, but I'm not sure this is who God made me to be, right? I want those words to come out of their heart. I don't want to put words into them. Does that make sense? I know it sounds radical because I've been doing this for so many years. Yeah, well, I guess 
So I had a friend a while, well, a number of years ago, who, you know, we were friends, and then he came out as gay, and I just, as a Christian, I had a hard time saying, I mean, I told him I still love him. And right, care for him, right. But I just had a hard time saying as a Christian, that's okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying that. They're not asking me to say that. You know, I just say I love you just the way you are. Mm -hmm. And if they ask me, you know, say, Janelle, well, I really want you to just bless and celebrate my homosexuality, I'll say, I'll ask them a question of how is that going to help you? Because I am here for you, and I will be your friend no matter what. Um, so how is that going to help our relationship or help you? Um, but I just haven't had, I just haven't had people ever ask that of me because they know I love them unconditionally and that I honor their decisions because I learned that, right? I mean, I made a whole lot of mistakes when I started um, working with my clients because I was anxious to see something shift in them. I did want to see something change. I did. I'm being honest. Um, but the more I worked with them, I realized... Um, that was my agenda, and they, have, they stand before God. I don't stand before God and answer for their life. They stand before God, and I realized they have to make their authentic decisions themselves before God, and my job is to come along and support, guide, love, help however they want to open themselves to avail my help. Um, because I realize if I push somebody or if I coerce or try to talk them into it because of my theology, that they make a premature decision that's not coming out of their conscience and their heart, it won't last. It doesn't last, I've seen it. So I have, I not only unconditionally radically accept, but I unconditionally radically honor their decisions. Kind of like the rich young ruler and Jesus. He didn't go running after him and criticize him publicly. Um, and I still wonder what happened to that rich young ruler. I can't wait to find out, <laughs> really, seriously, because something powerful happened in that exchange. And Jesus spoke the truth, but it was like, you know, the rich, he honored the rich young ruler's decision. Seemed to be. Seems like he did. So. But he spoke the truth. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to necessarily speak necessarily from a from a Christian biblical standpoint. You're not going to necessarily say tell what the Bible says necessarily, but let them come to whatever choice or decision every they client want I've worked with, and I'll guarantee every trans Christian out there knows what the Bible says. In fact, they could read off and rattle off those passages better than me. But that is not what they were needing. Most of my clients didn't need to know um, the morality of homosexual behavior. What they needed to know is that they were the beloved. What they needed to know is that there is no shame and condemnation in Christ. What they needed to know was the gospel, and they had not grown up with that in their families or churches. And they were very wounded in many, many ways. Had nothing to do with their sexuality, right? Just has to do with broken life, um, woundings. And so that was something I recognized pretty early on as well, is that um, there's a whole lot of other scriptures in the Bible besides the mandates around our sexuality and gender. That's what the, that's 
it's the rest of those scriptures typically that my clients have needed um, not the morality scriptures the do's and don'ts scriptures it's it's the how many times is love mentioned you know there's an emphasis in the scriptures that often we miss because of fear we are afraid we're afraid that we're going to let a loved one go to hell because we haven't told them you know that what they're doing is wrong and I just I want to challenge that fear because perfect love casts out fear and so there's something about us if we're walking in the perfect love of Christ which means a sacrificial giving a, a sacrificial loving where I am going to be willing to give something for the sake of this person in front of me that that in of itself do we believe that the power of Christ's love in and of itself can be curative, can be healing to the soul, that can help fragmented people come together. Does that mean they're never gonna struggle again in their gender or sexuality? No, no, but we're moving towards wholeness. That's part of our sanctification and redemption. And so this is a journey I have been, I mean, I've asked these same, asked these same questions of myself, right? But I've been doing this for 25 years, so I've had 25 years of figuring this, some of this out and integrating. But coming into this belief that love is not mushy, and love doesn't mean you have to give up all your beliefs because God would not love us, because we're all a mess. He could not love us if it means it's wishy-washy and oh my gosh, I just don't believe anymore in sin. Um, he loves us just as we are. He reaches out for us just as we are. And so that's the model you know, I follow. Um, are there hard words spoken in my sessions? You bet. But the woman is asking for them. The woman wants to hear them. I'm not giving them to her because I think she needs to hear them. She's asking. My clients get to that point. But I, I walk with them until they are. So I know we're do you want to facilitate your time because we're, I mean, I'm happy to keep talking, but, but I don't know what your rules are. Yes. Last question. I guess, and I understand that, right? The, the trick that I'm struggling with, and this is how I would probably phrase it, is how you live that out in a church community without making it seem like you condone it I as know. appropriate. And that is the question of the day. That is the question of the day, and I struggle with that myself. Because I'm a mental health worker, so in the counseling office, we have ethics that direct us. I don't have a whole congregation, you know, that's watching what's happening in my counseling office, right? So it's a very different ballgame. And this is the rub, right? Because the minute, you know, we, yeah, you guys are going to be welcoming some trans kids into your youth groups. You will be. So how do we do that and yet at the same time honor all of the cisgender individuals, all the kids who just identify according to their sex, and bless what it means to be female, and bless the women, bless the young women, and bless the young men into what it means to be masculine. How do we do that? Because the trans kid isn't going to be able to fully participate and enjoy that blessing, and yet these other kids are desperate to know. Who am I made in the image of God as male and female? How do we do that? 
And the same with sexuality. How do we teach healthy sexuality? Yet knowing there are kids who have same-sex sexuality. Is there a way to teach healthy sexuality to kids with same-sex sexuality? And to still bring them in God's purposes, you know, that's where I look to the pastor. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, to me, this is a harder. It's easier being a mental health counselor. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because how, and how do we, because we welcome. We are a mess. The human race, we are far more messy than we ever imagined, right? And I just think God can hold space for this. God is holding it. How do we? That's the question. It's so, a question to end on. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Janelle, you have educated us and enriched us. And you've preached the gospel to us. Yeah, so would you I love the gospel. Thank you. I want to remind you that Janelle has cards up here and brochures for an upcoming retreat. Feel free to stay and grab those. And uh, let me just talk for a moment about next Wednesday night lecture. We, we do have a change. We've had to change speakers. And uh, next Wednesday night, Dr. David Matheson is going to be here. He's a professor of New Testament at Denver Seminary. And his topic is going to be, this will be of interest, why heaven is not our home. So you want to come back to that uh, next it. week. Yeah. So there you go. So Janelle, thank you. Go in peace.